Welcome back for episode two of the Cycle Talk podcast for January 25th, 2012. On this episode, Robert and John will talk about their training schedules from January to March 1st. They will have a review of a book, a few trainer videos, and some nutritional products by Cliff Bar. Last, they will interview a local surgeon about heart rate and heart health. All that and more on episode two of the Cycle Talk podcast. Hey, John. First, let's talk about what you're doing uh, in your beginning January to March in your preparation for the cycling season coming up. Yeah. Hey, Robert. Um, I am struggling to read through all of these books that uh, you and I have talked about on the last episode. So what I've decided to do for at this point is to increase the intensity on a couple of the rides that I'm doing per week. And I plan to do this probably just through the month of January. And by that time, I hope to have uh, figured out my schedule of the races that I want to do and where I want to peak and then begin to work on the specifics of it that that's my general plan for training and what are what are you doing well i you know i'm like you i've read i've got about 5 books sitting on my nightstand uh and and currently i'm reading a book but i'm trying to do a little more systematic approach i'm still doing weight training and i'm going to continue weight training 4 days a week all of January and all of February, uh, but I'm I'm adding more indoor training on the bike, be, you know, because it's cold. So right now my current schedule is on Sundays I'm doing a lift at seven in the morning, and then uh, in the afternoon I'm doing a one hour uh, workout on the on the trainer. And and then I'm also doing a 20 minute run. Now the the bike workouts I'm doing are out of a book that we mentioned on last week's podcast uh, called Cycling Workouts in a Binder. If if anybody wants the book, it's on Amazon right now for 19.77. And, and all it does is break up the different aspects that a cyclist has to be good at and then gives you seven to ten workouts for each aspect there are six aspects that a cyclist of course has to be good at of course they've got to have endurance they've got to have force that's number two they got to have speed skills that's number three and now what the base builder book that we have been reading which is very hard to read, but the base builder book by Thomas, it's either Chapel or Chappelle, uh, says is you have to have those three skills, endurance, uh, speed skills, and force before you can move to the next rung of the ladder, which are muscular endurance, anaerobic endurance, and power. So the nice thing about cycling workouts in a binder is they break out break up those six skills that a cyclist needs and they give you about 10 workouts for each skill and so right now in my training what i'm doing for the month of january and february 
So in other words, this is going from January 1 to May or March 1 is on Sunday. I'm doing a speed skill workout out of the cycling workouts in a binder. And most of these workouts last an hour. Uh, on, on Monday, I'm doing a force workout at 5 in the morning. And then nothing else the rest of the day on Monday. On Tuesday, I'm lifting at 5 in the morning. And then I'm just doing a uh, non-organized ride on the bike. That might be a group ride or it might be a go out with my wife and ride. In other words, that might be a on-the-bike recovery day type deal. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, I'm doing a tempo ride, of course, with you. Then on Thursday, I'm doing a workout at 5 in the morning, and that's it on Thursday. Friday, I'm doing another workout and I'm also doing an endurance workout from the binder. So that gets me in Sunday through Friday, that gets me endurance force and speed skill workout. So I'm trying in January and February to improve those three skills because in March, then I'm going to jump to the other three. And then of course on Saturday, I'm just doing a long 75 to hundred mile ride with you, which of course Yesterday, we increased the intensity on a a good bit. In other words, our average heart rate for the ride was probably 10 beats higher than it was from October to to December. But I'm trying to really be systematic with it. Four days a week, lifting. um, And right now, I'm in the power or in the strength phase. I just got out of the endurance phase where I might have been high reps. Right now, I'm, I'm low reps, but high weight. And then I'm also getting those three workouts in the binder, a tempo ride, and a long ride. So I'm on the bike five days a week, but three of those are on the trainer. And and we'll see. I, I don't know if this will work or not. And, you know, it also goes into how how much should I listen to my body as far as recovery is concerned instead of being so systematic. But at least this key, I, I kind of like being on a schedule. Yeah, you are definitely more organized and structured than I am. Uh, so I, I'm, I guess I'm a free spirit in this. Um, tell me, tell me what you mean by endurance and force and speed skills. What, what exactly do uh, we talked some about endurance, and I think that's kind of uh, self-explanatory. But what about force and speed? Well, I think endurance, and and of course, I'm not a professional at this, and all of this comes from the book Base Building for Cyclists and just creating your base, but endurance is a low heart rate, long period ability to sustain. So you probably, you remember the first time you got your bike and the first long ride you went on that might have been 30 miles I remember the first long ride I went on, my wife and I rode 25 miles out and 25 back. But when we got 25 out, we had to lay our bikes on the ground and just lay there on the concrete. We were so worn out, you know, and we weren't averaging 14, 13, 14 miles an hour. So endurance is, to me, just the ability to sustain a lower heart rate for a long period of time. And then when you get to force... I think force is the is it's not power, okay? Force is the ability to jump quickly. I think power is 
how much power you can put in the pedals and what is your max to which results in maximum speed so like cavendish probably has a ton of power but there are some riders who aren't ex excellent sprinters who can still put a lot of force in their pedals so the 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 bottom three are building your um your base so you got endurance and you've got uh force and then speed skills is is all has to do with pedaling and proper pedaling perfect circles with the pedals and making sure you use the entire circle from if you look at a clock from 12 o'clock all the way back around to 12 o'clock so there's a lot of one foot pedaling which some people don't think one foot pedaling is is necessary but i'll tell you on the trainer that there's one of these workouts where you go two feet then you go for a minute then one minute with your right foot, one minute with your left foot, and then back two feet. You do three sets of that. And I'm going to tell you, by the third set, when you're doing those one-legged sets, your legs are burning. And also, it makes you see how hard it is to complete those perfect circles for an entire minute when you're fatigued. And so the speed skills have a lot to do with just proper pedaling. So those three that you mentioned are laying a proper foundation in January and February. And and the reason I'm doing them in January and February and not October, November, December is because I want to peak later. If I wanted to peak for the for the March, April, May race season, I would have done this two months ago. But I would like to begin peaking late May through June and July, you know, and get those six to eight weeks of peak in that time of the in that time of the year, you know, because I'm a teacher and we the school year won't end until May. So racing competitively is going to be a whole lot easier once the summertime comes. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I haven't been able to, the races that uh, I want to enter, or the, actually let me back up the States that I think I want to be racing in. Uh, they haven't posted the race schedules for the 2012 season yet, so I don't really know exactly when I ought to peak. And so I, I'm, I haven't really drawn up the, the race training calendar for the year. Well, and part of that is I know that no matter when the races are, because of the nature of my job, that even if the races were in April and May, I mean in, in March and April, it's going to be harder for me to attend them. And I know there's going to be races in late May, June, July, and early August. So I'm really trying to focus on that portion of the season and kind of find races that are around me in that time period. Because you're, you're, you know, your profession's a little different. You've kind of got some freedom with mine. I've got freedom. It's just in a different part of the year. Yeah. You got a block of freedom and, and I can kind of schedule mine. Yeah. I, I'm doing training um, as far as weight training. I'm not being as regular or consistent as you are doing, but I'm continuing to do that. About two uh, workouts with the weights uh, a week, and I'm just doing basic uh, body weight training still and adding some dumbbell with that, like single leg squats, adding some dumbbell weight with that. So trying to work the legs out a little bit more probably will continue with the dumbbells and body weight resistance uh, through March at least, if not April, and then do some maintenance. But uh, starting to add intensity and a little bit harder. Notice uh, notice that the 
It's a little bit more sweat on the indoor trainer rides, <laughs> and yeah. it's not it's not that easy endurance kind of ride anymore. Well, and with the weightlifting, I'm going to go four days a week, January and February, and then March one, I'm going to hit two days a week, and I'm probably going to stay two to two days a week from March one all the way through the end of the racing season, sometime at the end of August, and that will be just a maintenance, like you said. I've gone a little harder with the weights, and I just went right back into the power phase, and I'm really seeing the benefits. Uh, you and I rode you know, yesterday, and I had worked out real hard on, on Friday, so today I'm extremely sore. I, I'm going to have to be smarter about not working out on Friday to do the long ride on Saturday, and also during the race season, making sure that when the race weekend comes around, I'm, I'm plenty rested and I don't go into the race season, a race weekend already tired. Yeah, I think it's important to, again, remind the people who listen to our podcast is that we are completely, we're rank amateurs. I mean, we we just know a little bit about stuff and we're we're trying to learn as much as we can. And this podcast is about our experience in this uh in in this uh um endeavor to try to be able to to ride faster and do some racing uh, you did some races last year i have not raced a single time so this will be the very first uh, year that i've ever entered, entered a race but uh it, it sure is a lot of fun to read and study and apply but I uh, just wanted to remind our listeners that we are certainly not pretending to be experts in any of this this is a learning as we're going. We're just sharing what we have found beneficial to us. You know, one thing I think the listeners will enjoy about this, though, is it, this is almost like a audio reality show, if you know what I'm saying. In other words, we're going into the race season completely green. Both of us cat fives. I've only done one race weekend where I raced a road race, a time trial, and a crit. So that's all I've done. And... So the the listeners will be able to follow us through that race season. And so as this podcast progresses by next season, hopefully we will be entering a Cat 4 possibly season if we're good enough for that. And we people will, you know, I heard somebody one time say, you know, a wise man learns from somebody else's mistakes. Well, hopefully the people listening to this podcast will have an opportunity that when they're entering their first season after we've completed a year of this podcast to learn from the mistakes we made so they don't make them themselves and also to get entertained. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that uh, there um, a wise man learns from others' experiences. I, I have been really just swimming in all of this information that I'm reading in Freel and have felt myself, it feels like, you know, I'm going under in this this um, current of information, and uh, I've stepped back a little bit from reading in, in Friel's book just because there's so much. Um, and I'm only in chapter, I think, eight, and he hasn't gotten to the specifics yet. But there's just so much information that I, I found my, myself saying, I don't know where to start in all of this. So I backed up a little bit further, and I'm reading an old book now called Bicycle Road Racing, it's uh, written by a man named Eddie B. This book was recommended to me by uh, the local bike shop owner that that we frequent. Um, his name is Edward, and I think you would say it 
Borshevich, something like that. I think he's Polish, but it was written back in 1985. And our LBS guy recommended this. That's what he used back when he was racing uh, and some of the techniques. So it's a lot simpler. I like the way that you can, uh, that, that he lays out a weekly schedule of things to do, the kind of rides to take. And I think for, for me right now, since I've kind of dipped into Freel just a little bit, seen what kind of information was there, got information overload. Uh, the, the Eddie B book is definitely more my style for this first year of racing. Does that make any sense? Perfect. It, It makes perfect sense. And I'll tell you one thing that's hard. You're in Freel. And I'm in this base building book by Chappelle or Chapel. I don't know which is right. Probably somebody will send us an email and let us know. But the the hard thing about us doing these books or reading these books and trying to follow it is neither of us has a power meter. And both Friel and Chapel, you know, see, see it as imperative to use a power meter for training. And I don't doubt they're exactly right because one one thing that in base builders he talks about is heart rate drifts and there are a lot of factors in other forms of training monitors but a power meter only records what you put in the pedals yeah. so but the hard thing is power meter is expensive and neither one of us neither one of us has one and so that's why I've kind of reverted to the book I'm reading and you've reverted to the book you're reading because it's hard to get into it too far knowing that you can't completely perform the training that they're recommending, knowing you don't have a power meter. Now, I will say this. Base building for cyclists and Friel's book both are almost like reading a calculus book. Uh, You know, I'm a calculus teacher, and the first time you learn something, you have a surface general knowledge of it, but you're not completely confident of it, and nor do you completely grasp it or own it. In other words, what I'm saying is, when a kid owns something, he could teach it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're reading this right now, and we're getting a surface knowledge of it. We're going to have to go through two or three seasons of racing and reading before I think we're going to own it. And one thing I was talking to another cyclist, he said, your third racing season is the one where the light always comes on. For all the cyclists, the third racing season is where they go, okay, I get it now. Yeah, and the thing that, that I, I went back to in, in thinking about this is that there have been uh, cyclists that have raced without power meters, and they have trained without power meters, and they have won without power meters. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's it's if you go back to basics, you, you you're just pushing those pedals around as hard as you can at the right time. You know, that's the essence of it. So, for me, I'm I'd love to have a power meter, and I know you would too. Well, that's good. That's um that's got our listeners. Uh, I think have a good idea of what we're trying to do with our training. Sure. Um, let, let me recommend real quick uh, two books. Uh, books that were given to me that are, if you're just a beginner, you know, you you just bought your bike and you're thinking about racing, which that's where I was about six months ago. The first one's called The Complete Book of Long Distance and Competitive Cycling. And you can get it on Amazon for about $5. It's by Tom Dottie. And the second one is called 
Beginning Bicycle Racing by Fred Matheny. And this this book by Fred Matheny, he's a English teacher from Colorado. And this book is very comprehensive. Of course, it's not as deep as, as Base Builders or Freel, but but for a beginner that doesn't need to be that deep. So I just wanted to recommend those. If it, they're very in other words, the reason I recommend them, they're both less than five dollars. And they're both very good. Yeah. Well, um, we have uh, both been doing trainer rides. So let's talk about some of that. Um, you you mentioned something to me, and I've, I've read about other cyclists that have used these trainer videos um, on the bike forums that, that you can find on the Internet. But the Sufferfest. Yeah. I have, I have really been enjoying doing those videos. If, if you... Uh, can enjoy suffering. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. And, and you know, the people at the website, thesufferfest.com were nice enough to donate their nine videos to the, to the cycle talk podcast. And so what John and I have done is split them up and we've, we've tried to cover most of them. And we're going to talk about a few of them in this podcast and then we're going to talk about the rest of them in the next one but john kind of explain to people what these sufferfest videos are okay well i'll back up just a little bit and and find out what uh, and not find out but relate what i have discovered about the trainer um i got a trainer last year and rode it twice and hated it but uh, having done the uh, some of the sufferfest videos i understand now that it is a trainer. And so what that means is that we don't ride the trainer because we like to ride. We go riding outside, you know, for a ride. But we're on the trainer because we are training ourselves. We want to go somewhere with our racing or our speed or whatever. So that that light bulb went off in my mind uh, after the riding the suffer or doing some of the sufferfest workouts i'm training for something you know i've got a goal and so that that made a world of difference in how i feel about using the trainer um it, it just i love it now and and the sufferfest videos have um they've really just turned me on to what a trainer can do and what they what the videos are all about it's basically just a way to do certain types of interval workouts, but they set them to good music and you get to watch clips of races, actual pro level races, some of the tours, major tours, um, along with good music, it tells you when to do your maximum effort, all that kind of stuff is given to you, instructions written on the screen. Um, but I, I've just really started loving doing the trainers. Obviously, I'd rather be outside and riding, we all would, but when it's so cold and windy in the wintertime, it's great to have the trainer. Well, and the great thing about it is, like you said, where I first got my trainer and just kind of rode the trainer aimlessly and didn't have a plan, these lay the plan out for you. You just do what it says on the screen, and the instructions are so easy to follow, and they give you noise cues like a gun goes off when you're supposed to speed up, and when it's time for you to slow down a little bit, they have applause. So even if you're not looking at the screen, you get audio cues. 
if what I do is I turn it on in my living room, get a fan blasting in my face, turn the music way up, and then for an hour or an hour and ten minutes, I, I suffer. Uh, so I, I really like them. Yeah, so even though you're suffering, it, it is a really, really fun suffering. Uh, you hurt at the end if you've worked hard like you're supposed to work, but it's a, you, you'll be tired, you'll be worn out, but it feels great because you know that you've really done what you're, you need to do to be able to go faster, particularly during race season, or if you just want to go faster during, during the club rides. But I've I've just thoroughly enjoyed uh, doing this, and and actually look forward to doing the more of the workouts during the winter season. I, I plan to do do them quite often. One thing I like about him is he's got a lot of different types. In other words, they're not all interval. While there are intervals, they're not all cl- uh, sprints. While there are sprint, vid- there's a video that that. You work on your sprinting, but there's also videos where you work on your climbing. Now, you need a cadence meter to do these, but you don't need a power meter. You need a cadence, and you probably need a heart rate monitor because it all goes based on your perceived uh, output. And so your heart rate's going to help you gauge how hard do you think you're going. But if you have a cadence monitor, he's got uh, hill workouts, he's got sprint workouts, he's got interval workouts. So if you buy the whole set of videos, you can get any type of workout sitting right there on your trainer in your living room or your garage if, if it's too cold outside to, to do all this stuff. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the ones that we have done and real quickly kind of give a, an overview of, well, I guess maybe the, uh, our listeners can go to the, the sufferfest.com and get the overview. But let's talk about some of the ones that we have done. We split up these videos and we're going to do about half. How many did you, did you get to do? I, I've done three so far. And the three I've done, I purposefully chose and I've kind of repeated them. In other words, I hadn't stepped out to the others because I want to wait until I feel like it's that part of the training season to do them. The my favorite one, especially for kind of the off season, is the hunted, and and you and I both did it. But I'll tell you the one that will kick your butt. That's fun. Is called the revolver, and so what the revolver is is a four minute warm up, a minute thirty at tempo, then two minutes at a higher than tempo heart rate. So for me, my tempo heart rate's going to be somewhere one. 50 to 155 then you're going above that so maybe 160 and then you do 15 one minute intervals at either nine tenths of your maximum effort or full 10 10 which is just as hard as you can go and when i did this one i'm talking about my legs came out of this feeling just as heavy and big and thick and full of lactic acid as you can imagine (laughs) And so I finished my 15 by one minute intervals. And I'll tell you, at, at, at the ninth interval, I said, I'm quitting. I can't do this anymore. But something inside of you says, no, just stick with it. And when I finished it, I was so happy I finished it. And then you have a four minute cool down. But like you say, the music they put to it, the video they put to it, and then they're pushing you. Because I'll be honest with you, these videos push me harder on the trainer than I would probably push myself. 
Yes, I've noticed that as well. And I do feel quite comfortable to push harder on the trainer just because you don't have to worry about traffic or falling off the bike. Uh, you know, if you do lapse into unconsciousness, you're just going to fall on the carpet. So <laughs> you know, you'll wake up when you hit the ground. That's a real good point. So yeah, what's, what's but, one that you've done? Well, I've done four also. I think, I think we did the hunted, the one that's called the hunted. Uh, we both have done that one. Um, I've done downward spiral. Let me pull up on their website, downward spirals. You got a 10 minute warm up, and then you do a two minute interval with two minute recovery, a minute 45 interval with a minute 45 recovery all the way down to 15 seconds like that. So tell, yeah. tell us about that one. How'd it, how'd it go? That was, that was a hard one for me. Uh, but I, I really think it's going to be a workout that I'll, I'll do a lot of because I need that kind of uh, method to build power for racing. That's, that's just what I'll need when I think about the abilities that I've got and what and my uh, limiters. Uh, I really will, will have to do quite a bit of that. Yeah, this, one, this one's good. I, I think I'll I, – I haven't done this one yet, but I think this is going to be the next one I do. The nice thing about it is the intervals aren't long. I mean, two-minute interval with a two-minute recovery, and then you go minute 45, and then minute 30, and then minute 15, all the way to 15 seconds. That looks like a good one. Yeah. The one that was the the hardest that I've done so far um, is, is Local Hero. I had no idea how hard that was going to be. What really... <laughs> what really I should have done, I should have had some energy gel that was near the trainer that I, that I could take somewhere during mid, the midpoint of the ride because I totally ran out of energy. I mean, it, it is a hard workout. We have three by six minute pyramids, uh, uh, six by, by three minute tempo and power laps. And then you, at the end, you've got four 30 second sprints. And by the the next to last sprint, I was thinking, I just I can't do it, can't do it. I just didn't have anything left. Man, I, mean, I, I kept I kept on pedaling, but it wasn't a sprint, you know. <laughs> well, these these pyramids are brutal. A minute at seven tenths effort, then a minute at seven and a half tenths, and then two minutes at eight tenths, and then you go back seven and a half and seven. Now you said that there were thirty second sprints. Yeah, it's at the end. Wow. Yeah, and they've they've got those one right after the next. Uh, but if if any of our listeners try to do that one, I I mean I I liked it, but I, I needed something to eat during the middle or some gel or something. So that one's that sounds brutal. The the one that I I like for hill workouts is is called the hunted. In this one, now there's there's long intervals that. I don't really like, but my weakness is climbing. And so this one has a six minute, 30 second warm up. Then they go with a 30 second attack, which basically you're sprinting. And then you've got a five minute solo breakaway where you're basically acting like you've broken away from the group and you're tempo riding. After you've done that, that's 12 minutes of riding. They put you on a 20 minute climb. And the way they do that is they tell you, to go at a 70 cadence or 65 cadence, I can't remember. So you lower your cadence, you increase the resistance, so your legs are burning the whole time just like a climb. But what was hard about it is every two or three minutes, they in the video, 
somebody will try to break away from the group in the climb. And so you'll have to pedal harder at a higher cadence to catch up and then you can relax. And then someone mm-hmm. will break away and you have to pedal harder to catch up and then relax. Uh, so I'm telling you after that 20 minute climb, I was dead. And then they give you a four minute downhill, which you're, you're pedaling at over a hundred cadence, but it's, it's very little resistance. And then at the end you do intervals. And so that, that was a hard, hard workout. I enjoyed that one. I did that one as well. And that was, that was a favorite, but it really, it, it matches the cycling abilities that I've got. I mean, I'm more of an endurance and uh, climber. So, I mean, it fit where I'm at. And so I, I really liked it. I'll, I'll do that one again. It was fun. Well, and you are a climber, so I can see where that one was right up your alley. If you're going to do indoor riding, if you have to stay in during the winter, which most of us, I guess, do, except those of us that live in uh, Florida or California, if you're lucky enough to be there, you wouldn't have to do a whole lot of trainer rides. But, I mean, I'm in Mississippi, so um, it doesn't get extremely cold, but there's a good bit of days when you have wind and you have rain, and sometimes you just don't feel like getting out in that. Yeah, I definitely recommend it too. Again, the website is thesufferfest.com. They're on Facebook and they're also on Twitter. Uh, David is kind of the founder of it, and I I do appreciate him donating those over to us. That way we could could kind of try them out. Yeah, very nice. Thanks, David. Hey, John, real quick, I'd like if we could just take two or three minutes to talk about recovery. in all the books we've read, they talk a lot about not overtraining, and I think the key to not overtraining is to re- is recovery. One one quote from uh, Graham Obrey's book that I that I recently got is called. It, he says here, training is bad for you. Training followed by rest and proper nutrition is good for and will make you better prepared for the event you're training for. And I think too often we focus on uh, what we're doing to train and not enough on how we're recovering. And, and there's, there's a philosophy in there that's sometimes hard to understand. When I get on the bike and I ride hard, that's not what makes me better. What makes me better is the act of recovering from it. Yeah, and that's from the Obrey book that you're reading? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, well, talk, talk to us about that. What, is, what does he say about how to recover or like I've, for instance, I've always, um, I've read that people do what they call recovery rides. And I've tried to do that as well. When after a a hard ride that you've done during the week, or if you had a weekend of racing, people will take say Monday and they'll go out and ride maybe 30 minutes, maybe an hour at a really low pace, particularly, uh, like in zone one for their heart rate. So does he recommend doing that? Yeah, you know, the the whole first chapter is about the way that in the time he was racing, he was beginning to question the normal thought school of thought in cycling, which is if you're going to be good, you got to ride seven days a week, as many miles as you can get in. So if you can do seven centuries a week, you're going to be better than the guy who doesn't do seven centuries a week. And Obery gives a great analogy. He says, imagine you're a carpenter and you have a sledgehammer in your hand 
and you beat, you, you know, you're tearing something down and you're using the sledgehammer to tear it down and you begin to develop blisters. Well, cyclists for some reason have this idea, well, my body will adapt to these blisters on my hand if I begin to hammer harder. So they hammer harder. Well, in that school of thought, before long, you're going to be bleeding. Your hands are going to be bloody and a mess. He says, but when they begin to blister, if you'll take the next day off and when they've calloused, you might be able to go back and work harder the next time and hammer harder using that sledgehammer. And he said, cycling's no different. He said, the now he doesn't agree with what I'm doing as far as my systematic plan that I've got where this day I'm doing this and this day I'm doing this because he says you may ride one day and need two days off the bike completely and then you may ride one day and the next day be completely recovered and so he kind of talks a lot about listening to your body but he definitely doesn't think you have to ride seven days a week a hundred miles a day to be fast he believes that if you use your time wisely and that if, if you get on the bike and train hard but smart and then recover well, that you pe- you can become faster, almost like a time-crunched time cyclist approach, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It'd be great if, if uh, anybody's listening could share their experience, particularly if they have race experience and have done some of the training and recovery um, both ways, like if they've done riding the seven or eight days a week, <laughs> as uh, sometimes we might feel like it's it's a long week of riding. If they've done all seven days a week, how does that compare with maybe riding five to six days a week? And it'd be great to hear from somebody if they have experience with that. That's right. And, and he talks a lot about, you know, you you can actively recover on the bike. But he never wants to get, he was very focused to get on the bike for a purpose. He never just got on the bike to pass the time. And so every time he got on, when he got on, he had the focus of, I'm going to get better at this, or I'm going to improve this. And if he didn't have something he specifically felt like he wanted to work on, he didn't get on the bike. There are guys that I ride with in our group that they think if I just log a lot of slow miles, I'll eventually get faster. And I don't believe that's right. I think that, you know, you're doing the Sufferfest videos and I'm doing the Sufferfest videos. I think if a guy goes out and rides four hours slow, but you and I spend one hour doing Sufferfest, I think in the long run we're going to come out faster. Because you're do, you're working on specific things, you know, in order you're never going to get fast unless you push yourself farther and faster than you've been previously and then allow yourself to recover the proper recovery time. And if if you think about the concept of the hammer being in your hand, the sledgehammer, you have to blister your body before it can callous. Sure. Yeah, and back to how we started the the program uh, talking about our training what we're doing from January through March, that's basically what I'm doing is kind of the same thing as the off-season stuff we talked about last time, just increasing the intensity somewhat on uh, the rides a couple days a week, but but not pushing it on my recovery days at all. Yeah, so the book that I'm reading that, that they sent to the podcast is called The Obrey Way, and that's Obrey is spelled O-B-R-E-E. 
and it's just called a training manual for cyclists. And one thing about this is he doesn't implore a power meter. It's it's very simple. I mean, anybody can do it. Now, he's got some specifics on the type of trainer you need uh, because what he feel what he does is is he uses your trainer as a a cannon or a measuring stick uh, of your ability. And so you use your trainer to measure how you're improving. And so he's real picky on the type of trainer you use because he wants it to be very accurate. And the website is is obree.com. That's O-B-R-E-E.com. If you want to order the book, it says it's 30, 30 euros. So I don't know how many dollars, probably $35 or something like that. But I'm, I'm about halfway through it. I definitely recommend it. It's very good. Sounds great. Well, we've got another review of some Cliff products. So why don't you tell us uh, tell us what we got? And we've we sort of split those up and tried them. Yeah, we were fortunate enough. Uh, Cliff Cliff Bar sent us some regular Cliff Bars. I think they sent peanut butter, um, white chocolate macadamia nut, and coconut. And then they also sent us some Cliff Shot blocks. Uh, so what John and I did was we took the box and split it 50-50. And on one ride, we said, "Okay, we're only going to nutrition. We're only the only thing we're going to eat are these Cliff bars and Cliff blocks, and see how it goes." So, what did you think about them, John? I've got my favorite uh, flavors of Cliff, um, but I like the ones that they sent. And I again, I can't remember exactly wh- which ones they were. Um, but but really, I I don't. I think I've enjoyed every one of the Cliff products that I've tried as far as the taste goes. I do have favorites. I tend to gravitate toward chocolate because <laughs> I like chocolate. <laughs> but um, but all of them, they, they do what they need to do, which is give you nutrition on the ride. But really like the, the Cliff Shot blocks, especially ones with caffeine. Love caffeine. Got to have it. Yeah, I'll say this. If you're out there and you you do long rides and you don't have some sort of goo or uh, other type product to kind of get you through the ride, man, I would definitely recommend these Cliff Shot Blocks. They taste great. And like John and I do a regular 75-mile Saturday ride, and I generally don't eat all the way down because I've eaten breakfast and I don't even usually in the winter drink anything. For some reason, I just don't begin eating and drinking till we actually get there. But when we get there, I always uh, eat and drink something. Well, on this ride, I had a cliff shot block, which it has six little blocks in it. And like you said, most of them contain caffeine. And then I had a cliff bar. So I ate a cliff bar and I ate a cliff shot block. And I'll tell you, man, coming home, you know, you've done long rides where the last 10 or 12 miles are just awful. You're looking at your bike computer, and every time you look down, only a tenth of a mile went by, and you're just praying, gosh, I wish I was home, or, hey, maybe I'll call my wife and have her come get me. But these these cliff shot blocks, I, I never felt that way. I remember the, the ride we did with these blocks. When we got to the end, I turned to you, and I said, I can't believe it's already over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, but the you know some people say, well, I'm not going to eat that type of stuff, or I'm not 
I, nutrition's not really important. They made a huge difference in my energy level and my enjoyment on the long run. Yeah, you need need to. It just it's a learning process. Each cyclist has to to find out what works for him as far as nutrition goes. What works for him on a long ride or a short ride, um, and and you, it just takes experience to uh, try different products and see what works. I do think that the the shot blocks will not be as convenient. I mean, you wouldn't want to take that on a race. I, I wouldn't because you've got to open a package. I mean, we'll be doing gels and stuff primarily, liquid nutrition then. But for just riding around long grip rides, I, I think fantastic. Well, and I'll tell you where the sh- the shot blocks will be good are, you know, centuries, group rides that are longer and and also even group rides that are like we do our normal Tuesday night group ride that is pretty fast you know right before you get out of the car like when you're driving to the group ride maybe a cliff shot block would be good for the ride and I'll tell you another place too is some of the, the the race I did last season we did the time trial at eight in the morning and then the road race was at three in the afternoon so it might be something good in between there along with your lunch. And I, I remember we've got a guy in our group who he rides his bike to lose weight. And the the caloric content was not very high. And this would this kind of gives you the most bang for your buck as far as calories are concerned. And and it, it's good for you. All the cliff products seem to be uh, if not a hundred percent organic, close, and so I, I would highly recommend the shot blocks. I know it's their newest product, but man, at least everybody ought to try them. Yeah, definitely, and, and I'm I'm glad you mentioned that about the them being organic, mostly organic, because that's that's really important to me, um, and it's definitely the way to go. But you're getting good nutrition uh, as well as the energy. Yeah, so I liked them. And I, I've recommended our book, The the Obrey Way is the name of it, and you can get it at obrey.com. Uh, and I also recommended workouts, cycling workouts in a binder, which you can get on Amazon for $19.77. Uh, a movie also, if you have Netflix, it's on the instant streaming. It's called Ride the Divide. It's not a road cycling movie, but it's a movie about uh, mountain bikers who have a mountain bike race from Canada to Mexico. And it's completely self-supported as part of the rules. You can't; it can't be supported. So, uh, you know, of course, they're they're carrying everything on their bikes. When they need something to eat, they get out their debit card and stop at a gas station. Uh, it's a really cool movie, and if you've got Netflix streaming, of course, you can watch it for free. So, I I I highly recommend that. Uh, one other thing is. Is somebody recommended to me the website Strava.com? That's S-T-R-A-V-A.com, and I tried it on our ride yesterday, and it's the app for the iPhone is much better than the Map My Ride app. So if anybody out there is looking for a Map My Ride type website, this one is for cyclists specific, and the best feature was see Map My Ride. It records the entire ride, whether you're moving or not. Strava was cool. When we were sitting still, it quit recording. So it showed on the on the iPhone when I finished the ride, 
riding time and total time. So it only averaged in for my average speed the actual riding time, which I Matt my ride doesn't do that. So that that was nice. Okay, I have I have I have a Strava account, but I I really have not use the website like I like I should and haven't looked at it that closely. I think I've uploaded all the rides from December of last year and the ones that I've done this year. But uh, we'll we'll definitely look into that. Cool. So John, for this segment of the show, we've got a local surgeon who's a marathoner, big time runner and triathlete, also a member of our cycling club. So I'd like to welcome Dr. HF to the show. How are you? I'm good, John. How are you? Good. Doing well. Appreciate you coming on with us. Oh yeah, I'm glad that uh I'm glad that you guys asked me. This is the first podcast that I've ever done, so uh it, it should be good. Well good. Yeah, tell us a little bit about kind of what uh what you do with your, your training. I know you do a lot of running, but you're also you've ridden with us on some rides. And I'm thinking, I think I heard that you're interested in triathlons as well. So kind of tell us a little bit about your um, athletic self. Okay. Well, I, uh, you know, in high school, I played sports. I played football, baseball, and, and uh, pole vaulted for the track team. But I didn't, I didn't run that much. But my parents were runners. And I started dabbling a little bit in running in college and in medical school. And then once I came back here and got into practice, I, I really started um, running seriously in 2002. And that's really when I ran my first marathon. And, and since then, I've been hooked and uh, run several full marathons, several half marathons, and, and multiple, multiple 10Ks and 5Ks in the area. And um, I started, I bought a road bike about five years ago and very, and really didn't ride much at all until this past summer when I started riding with you guys. And, and that sort of got me interested in uh, triathlon. So that's, that's my next thing that I'm, uh, I'm starting to train for is uh, hopefully to do some uh, maybe sprint tries and Olympic distance triathlons. And I'm going to try to do a, a half Ironman this, this, this spring as well. That sounds cool. Yeah. Well, we, we wanted to get your, you know, the medical take on heart rate and Robert and I both have kind of matured in our understanding about that. At, at first, I know I was very concerned about what is maximum heart rate. And I got a heart rate monitor uh, to use with my, my Garmin computer. And I had no idea what my maximum heart rate was prior to using that. I, I just rode and had fun. Um, but then as I determined what my maximum heart rate was, I, during the rides, I would watch, and as it would get close to it, I would think, oh, my goodness, I'm getting to the maximum heart rate. I've got <laughs> to slow down. Yeah. So I was kind of thinking of maximum heart rate more like an expiration date kind of thing. You know, you, you hit it, and you're gone. <laughs> so um, we just want to get the lowdown on heart rate and find out what, what is that and what does it mean for endurance athletes. So kind of just take off wherever you want to go. And then I've got some more questions about okay. specific training issues. All righty. Well, when, when it comes to heart rate training, you can make it as complicated as you want to make it, or you can make it as simple. And, and I, I certainly prefer the simple route. And 
your first question with regards to uh, maximum heart rate, each individual has a maximum heart rate. And as what that is, that is the fastest that your heart can beat. And a lot of that is determined genetically. For instance, you may have two world-class marathon runners and who are equally fit. And one guy, his maximum heart rate may be 195. And you may have another guy, his maximum heart rate may be 185. Now, that doesn't mean that the, the guy with a maximum heart rate of 195 is, is more fit. It just means that's the way he, he's wired. Mm-hmm. And there, there are several ways that you can determine uh, your maximum heart rate. There are several formulas out there that are based on your age. And I, I've seen 220 minus your age or 220 minus half your age and, and adding some other factors in there. But really the best way to to determine your maximum heart rate is to get out there and do, if you're a runner, get out there and do a, a, a hill workout where you're doing about five all-out hill repeats and with your heart rate monitor on. And if, you know, the, if the fastest that you see your heart rate get up to is 187, well, that's your maximum heart rate. Um, you guys at Cycle, you guys could do a real hard interval workout and just look at your monitor. If, if, you, if you were using a formula and you determined that your maximum heart rate is 182 and you get out there during a, a hard hill workout or a hard interval workout and you see your heart rate at 187, well, that's your maximum heart rate. And so, so the best way is, is just to get out there and do, do a, a, a workout to, to find out what your maximum heart rate is and then set up your training zones based on that maximum heart rate. So let, let me ask you this real quick. Does it, is it bad for you to actually enter that maximum area? You know, I, I've heard a couple people say that they would get up near their max heart rate and they were scared. Is that a bad thing when you actually get to your max heart rate? Well, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but is what you need to do. You need to be smart with your training. Yes, there are some some aspects of training where you want to train at 90 to 95% of your maximum heart rate, while there are other workouts where you want to train it at 70% or less. And it just depends on the goal of your workout. Now, you don't you don't need to go out and do every single workout at your uh, maximum heart rate because you just can't you can't maintain that pace for very long. So it's it's not dangerous uh, to get it up there that high, but you certainly don't want to keep it up there that long. What are some of the the signs, the physical signs that that an athlete might notice might notice if he is you know pushing a little bit too hard? I mean is I don't know how how to ask that question other than that, but I mean, you can you push too hard um, well, at the I, maximum heart rate? How does that work? I think that once if you are working at your maximum heart rate, you're gonna you're gonna almost certainly be working anaerobically, and you know, as you guys know, you can only go so long working anaerobically, and, and your muscles are just gonna fatigue. You're building up too much lactic acid. So that just just that sign of fatigue 
that you, that you're getting. Uh, it's mm-hmm. really you just need to listen to your body. Okay. Well, some of the books that we're reading they they seem to indicate that you've got to train your body to to be able to endure and kind of surpass those fatigue signs and work through them, work beyond them. Um, so is there anything like, I mean, if you feel lightheaded, that kind of stuff, is that a sign that you if, need to if you ever If you ever started feeling dizzy, lightheaded, you, you certainly need to stop. Now, there are, you, you can train your body to become more efficient working at that heart rate, and you can maintain that uh, th- that pace or that level of of uh, heart rate for for longer amounts of time, but um, certainly I, I don't think that w- with regards to running, I can't really translate into cycling as much because I I, I, I haven't really heart rate trained on the bike uh, near as much as I have while I was running. If if you're looking at it, uh, from a race standpoint. Normally during a 5K race, you usually try to run that race at 90 to 95 percent of your maximum heart rate. Now a 10K, you, you may run at 80 to 85, and then so you know it just depends on the the type of training that you're doing. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. What about um, what about some physical signs the day after or days after if we have overtrained? With regard to heart rate, what happens in our body? What what signs do we start seeing? Uh, fatigue, I guess, would be one of those. But are, are there some more? Sure. Well, let, let's talk about that uh, a little bit. Now, I don't care. It, it really doesn't matter what type of training you're doing, whether it's running, whether it's cycling, whether it's whether it's swimming. You really should never do two hard days in a row. So I, I like to follow the principle of hard, easy, hard, easy, hard, easy. And, and really, when I train, I, I don't really care how hard I go on my hard days. On my easy days, I really like to try to keep my heart rate below 70%. Now, for me, 70% of my maximum heart rate is 146. So on my rest days, I I try to set I set my watch up where my my alarm will go off if my heart rate gets up above uh, 146. It will alarm and I know to slow down. Now, one good thing about heart rate monitor training is it doesn't lie. For instance, if you are overtraining and or if you're not getting enough sleep, or if you're dehydrated, or if you're getting sick, your heart rate is going to show it. And, and you, you may you may be running at a pace that is much, much slower than you, you are normally able to run at at that heart rate, and you're, you just start saying, my goodness, what's going on? Well, one of the things may be that you're overtraining, that you are catching a cold, that you're getting sick. Another thing that you can do for, for the next day is, is measure your resting heart rate. Um, most of the time, if you're well-rested and you're, you're uh, not overtraining, your resting heart rate is going to be pretty consistent over, over time. But if you, if you start noticing that your resting heart rate is, is, is higher, that could be a good, a, a good indicator that you are overtraining. That, okay. you're, that you're getting dehydrated uh, or yeah. that you're getting sick. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it does. Mm-hmm. 
So fatigue, and then if you feel yourself getting sick, not able to um, push as hard as you think you ought to, might need to get some more rest. Is that kind of a summary of it? Absolutely. You know, guys, sometimes it seems to me like it would be smart for us to not be so worried about, in our training at least, how fast we go and, and more worried about focusing on the heart rate because just like HF said, there's some runs where you'll go slower than normal and your heart rate will still be elevated due to fatigue or, or whatever factor. And really our, our goal is in our event to be fast and, and really how fast we go in, in training doesn't matter. It, I mean, and, but that's hard because like John, you and I rode Saturday and in the wind, we were going 11, 10, 11, 12 miles an hour because it was a wind advisory. And, and, you know, for some reason, even though our heart rate was like 165, 170, it, it's kind of miserable to go that slow. You feel like you're not, you're not doing a very good job, you know. That's right. And, and on the flip side, I've, I've heard people who have actually raced, done uh, road races with their heart rate monitor on, and they felt like they couldn't go any harder. And they actually looked at their heart rate and they said, well, yes, I can push myself a little bit harder. So it, it can work both ways. It can it can tell you to slow down, but it can also tell you to speed up. Yeah. Uh, if, if when you might not be pushing yourself mentally, you know, mentally you may be telling yourself, "Hey, I can't, I can't go," and you look at your heart rate, and it's okay, it's within range, so you can you can you can push it. Right. And I and I also tell people, you know, whether you're you're running or cycling or, or, or swimming, that every workout. Tell yourself before the workout, okay, what is the purpose of this workout? Okay, if, if you know, I, I don't I don't think there's any any such thing as junk miles on the bike or running. It, you know, you tell yourself, okay, I'm going to go easy today, and there's a purpose because th- th- this easy run or this easy spin is going to allow me to rest. And so tomorrow when I've got a, a track workout or I've got a uh, an interval workout, uh, it's going to allow me to hammer and really get the most most benefit uh, benefit out of my hard uh, workouts. That that's why I really like the hard easy method. Uh, it, it just allows you to uh, to to get the most out of your hard days. Well, and the nice thing about that too is you you don't feel bad on your easy days about going easy because you walk into them with a purpose. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, you know. So you, you set up your watch where on your easy days you go easy. And if you uh, – another thing that we, we, we – um, that I would like to mention on, um, on long runs or long rides, there is something called cardiac drift. And uh, I'm sure you – I've heard you guys talk about it a little bit, that as you train longer and you get more dehydrated, you, your, your blood gets a little bit thicker. And so your heart has to work a little bit harder to to pump the blood. So you will get an increase in heart rate the longer you exercise. Does that make sense? Perfect sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah it does. We'd heard about the term cardiac drift, knew that it occurred. I didn't I had never read that it was uh that it came from being dehydrated, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, because your 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 heart's just having to work harder. It's just having to overcome more friction because your your blood's a little bit more viscous. 
Yeah, that's good to know. And is I'm assuming there's not really a whole lot you can do to become hydrated. All that happens after the ride. Is that correct? That's right. You know, you, you uh, once that's why it's so important to stay hydrated, hydrate early during any training because once once you get behind the eight ball with your hydration, it's really really hard to get to get caught back up. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So, that makes sense. HF, what in your what have you got coming up next? Well, right now the only the, the only triathlon that I have for sure that I'm going to try to do is the Gulf Coast Half Ironman in Florida. It's coming up in May. Now there is a there is a, a sprint triathlon called the Rebel Man that's going to be coming up in April, and I'm probably going to do it. Uh, I haven't signed up for it yet. Also, there's 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 a big uh, this spring. There's a, there's a lot of 10ks that are going on in the area, and I'll, I will probably run those as well. I, I ran a full marathon back in December, and I really I really don't have my my sight set on any marathons or half marathons soon. I'm sure I'll run some next fall. Well, are you doing anything special to train for your? Is that your first Ironman that you're doing in in uh, May? It is. It's, it's actually a half Ironman, and it's about 16 weeks away. And I'm just now starting to look at uh, look at training plans that will fit my 16 week schedule. So right now, I haven't picked a specific plan, but but basically, I'm trying to uh, to get in the pool. Uh, three days a week. I'm trying to run um, three days a week, and I'm trying right now with the weather and my schedule. It's just been real hard to uh, get out on the road with the bike. But I do have a trainer, so I've been trying to put in a little bit of time on the trainer. But uh, I'm looking forward to getting out on the road soon. I have another question too about heart health and what. Is there any kind of particular physical exam that an athlete should get before they start bicycle racing? I mean, like in our case, you're familiar sort of with our, our riding abilities and, and yeah. what we can do. I mean, should we be concerned? It, obviously, our heart's beating and, and we're still here. but uh, So we must be in pretty good shape, right? But there, there's probably more to it than that. Any uh, kind of physical exam in particular? Well, I think that... Uh... I think that in general, anybody before they start any type of training program, you should get a um, get a good physical from your from your local um, physician, primary care provider, and and you know for a, for somebody who's young, who's uh, in their twenty teens and twenties, that may be nothing more than uh, than listening to your heart, listening to your lungs, feeling your pulses. And doing a, a pretty simple exam now. When when I'm I'm over forty, and once you get to be over forty, you should be going to the to the doctor every year anyway. And I I think that if somebody asked me, "Hey, I'm forty two, and I'm thinking about uh, running a marathon. What do you think about that?" And I'd say, "Well, you you probably should maybe get a baseline EKG, you know, just to make sure that uh, that there's nothing uh, any type of arrhythmia that may may be uh trying to show itself that we may not that we might not know about but 
I think for the most part, just a good physical exam and make sure your doctor listens to your heart, listens to your lungs, feels your pulses and things like that. Okay. Good to know. Now you were telling me that you're, you're thinking about getting uh, a new bike. Kind of tell us about that real quick. Well, yes, right now I have a, uh, I have a road bike and, um, it's a specialized and I've never really ridden with aero bars. And so now that I'm getting into triathlon, I'm, I'm, I really am wanting to get a, a triathlon bike. And, you know, there's just so many different types of bikes out there. It can almost be overwhelming. So uh, I've kind of narrowed it down to two or three different types and, 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 and within my price range. And so I'm really looking forward to that. And hopefully over the next few weeks, I'll make that purchase. Yeah, well, HF, I look forward to you getting your bike too. And I look forward to riding it with you. Uh, on behalf of John and I, I'd like to thank you for coming on to the podcast. We really enjoyed it. Absolutely. And guys, I sure do appreciate it. Uh, John and Robert, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, HF. It's been great. Appreciate well, it. Hopefully we can make this a regular thing. Let's do it. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Cycle Talk podcast. We encourage you to ride hard, ride fast, and ride smart. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's Cycle Talk Podcast. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, it, it's Cycle Talk Podcast. Or, yeah, why don't you say congratulations? <laughs> congratulations in the Cycle Talk Podcast. <laughs> congratulations. You found the Cycle Talk Podcast. For January 15, 2012.